Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everyone, and welcome Hope, to the program. Thanks for coming back to talk to listen to us. At this hour, foreign investment is one of the key contributors to the health of the New York City real estate market. Buyers from across the world have always sought out the comforts and luxury of properties in this great city because of the opportunity they present. Whether you hail from Hong Kong, Tel Aviv, Sao Paulo, or India, uh, or anywhere else, there are a few key things to look for in New York real estate, <clears throat> in your investment. Our senior global real estate advisor, Nikki Field from Sotheby's International, is here with us today, and we're going to break that down for you. Also at this hour, when a first-time couple brought their apartment, they knew very little about what it meant to buy a co-op. First things first, they didn't buy their apartment. They bought shares in the building's cooperative. Uh, our co-op expert, Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead Real Estate, is here also with us today, and we're going to break that down. But first, I would like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. Thank you for joining us today. My panel, as always, is here, and we will get to our hot topics uh, a little later on in the program. As I said, my guest today is Nikki Field. She has been a dynamic presence with Sotheby's International Realty since 1998, consistently ranking among the global agency's top two producers and accomplishing over $2 billion in sales. 2015 America's top 250 real estate professionals by the Wall Street Journal ranked Nikki in the top 44 agents in America and top 10 in New York City and number two at Sotheby's in sales volume. She leads one of the strongest sales teams in the ultra-competitive Manhattan luxury residential real estate market. The field team is ranked number one in New York City uh, at Sotheby's for the past 10 years. Since 2008, she has been traveling extensively to emerging markets in Asia, which we're going to talk about today. Building on the growing global business of Sotheby's International Realty, she excels as a financial portfolio advisor for international investors in securing prime luxury brand and global residential real estate. When you select the Nikki Field team as your real estate advisors, you gain her team of 15 talented associates. And, of course, you get Nikki herself. Good morning. Good morning, Vince. I want to work with that broker. Uh, (laughs) That's what I say every time I read that. I'm like, wow, who's that? How how generous of you. I'm so very pleased to be making my third visit to your your extraordinary (laughs) show with off-the-record amounts of of listeners. This is a must-go-to arena for anybody who is in Manhattan real estate. Well, thank you so much for that. As we talked about before the show, you know, it seems to be growing, and I've mentioned this the last couple of weeks because the numbers in the last couple of weeks have just been completely off the charts. So welcome to uh, a new phase of Good Morning New York with uh, my panel and with Vince and everybody else. So I wanted to talk about, uh, you did not attend the the Global Summit this year in Shanghai, but you are so connected to the Asian market and you had a team of people there. I want to ask you a couple of things about uh, that summit this year. I think someone said when asked uh, to describe the Chinese buyer during that summit, uh, the one word you responded with about the Chinese is that it's sophisticated. So I wanted to ask you about what you mean by the Chinese buyer being sophisticated. Is that different? than they used to be? Is it consistently the same? Or what is your thought on that? Well, let's get started. 
Um, first of all, I did not make the uh, Real Deal Annual Summit in Shanghai this year. I'm, regrettably, I've been going to it ever since its uh, initiation. I find it an extraordinary opportunity to not only um, find out in real time what's happening in that market, but in one area for three days, meet all all the market influencers, either from Asia or from the U.S. that make that trek over there. And this year I could not go because I actually had a wealth manager and is very, very significant. We call it B buyers, the billionaire buyers, in town during a final uh, tour of uh, investment properties. That was successful. So we sent along the head of my Asia desk, Daniel Chang, and my senior partner, Kevin Brown. They participated on panels. They again came back with the same reaction that I had just four weeks ago when I was doing my Asia tour, that the Asia buyer is becoming more and more and more educated and sophisticated about international real estate, but specifically New York real estate. Here's the buzzword as I was there just three weeks ago. We hear New York is on sale. Now, there's a lot behind those words. Yeah. New York is on sale, particularly for such a strong market as New York. Well, they hear right. There are three things that the Asian buyer has really honed in on in the last six quarters, specifically that number one, uh, buyers have an opportunity for real deals. There's inflated inf- inventory bank. That was number two. And number three, and this is the one that they seemed extremely well um, versed on, is that developer, developers are uh, giving deep negotiating invitations. The word is spreading, that our inventory is laden, that there are opportunities here in new development, which is always their go-to product, and that deals are to be made. Now, this is absolute gold to that great wall of cash because prior to that, as they visited the states between 2008 and 2015, which was the uber height of our market that June, there were no deals. There was just opportunity. Correct. And we talked a little bit about that. So let's pull that uh, apart a little bit. So despite the Chinese government tightening capital outflows and questions brought on by the 19th National Congress of the Communist Party of China, investor demand for U.S. real estate remains robust. Top developers, brokers, attorneys, bankers from both countries said during the three-day Shanghai event. And as you just said, their interest in more international other than just New York City. So I'm looking at the demand has spread outside gateway cities to markets, including all around the U.S., Seattle, the Carolinas, the Bay Area, and not just San Francisco. So what are the Asian or the Chinese buyers looking at outside of New York City? Why are all of a sudden these particular cities or areas of our country uh, appealing to them? Well, let's start with their first question. It's most often London. All right, it's the it's the city that they know the best, right. and because of the run up of London real estate and the astronomical prices over there just four years ago, they started crossing the pond over to the states. They've always been on the West Coast, Seattle, San Francisco, right. uh, in the L.A. area. What we found is they're starting there on either sides of our coast. That's their first investment or two or three, but then they're very keen on diversifying their portfolio. So the conversation quickly begins, where else do you want to purchase? Where else do you find yourself spending time? Where else might your new businesses take hold? So there's been a tremendous amount of interest in Canada. We well know that. Asian buyers are buying in Canada first 
the number one buyer in Canadian real estate for the last mm-hmm. seven quarters has been Asian buyers, specifically Toronto and absolutely definitely Vancouver. 92% of Vancouver sales in 2016, according to my sources there, are Asian buyers. The local buyer has been priced out of the Vancouver market, and Asian buyers have taken over that. Look for them coming to your neighborhood. Yeah, that's very interesting. The Vancouver marketplace is uh, definitely um, uh, getting pricier, and it is a beautiful area. But, Nikki, how are they doing in South Florida, in, in uh, on the East Coast here in uh, in the U.S.? Are they buying as robustly as maybe they used to or, or as they should? I mean, well, how, do they, no. how do they look at that particular marketplace these days? It's very volatile always. Good question, always. because obviously when we talk about real estate markets, we're talking about multiple markets. Yeah. Uh, so we can't generalize generalize on all Asians, nor can we generalize on all markets. Those four markets that we all talk about is, number one, your entry level, which we in New York look at it as under $2 million. Our aspirational level, which is somewhere between 3 and $7 million. Our luxury level, which is over $10 million. And then we call it our B group, which is the, those Uber buyers. Mm-hmm. Now, we have Asian buyers in all four of those levels. So, we're speaking specifically about where they're going. We have to talk about what's attracting each of those levels. Entry-level buyers are not finding a lot of opportunity in the New York area. Excuse me, in New York, but they are in the New York area. Thus, we have Long Island City. We have certainly uh, New Jersey. We have Queens. Entry-level, when you're talking about $2,000 a square foot, it's very attractive to their pocket. But when we look at the other other levels, they are looking for, again, I go back to diversification of portfolio. So if they are looking at a $10 million drop in New York, and they can get six more bedrooms in Washington, D.C. for that same $10 million, they continue to investigate these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about poor South Florida. Sorry, South Floridian brokers that are listening today. You haven't seen a lot of Asian buyers. It doesn't mean that you won't. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't still keep taking those language classes in Chinese. They will come at one point. (laughs) They will be there, but we find, and I specifically... By Nikki's book. (laughs) What did you say? By Nikki's book. For those that learn Chinese and buy my book. Thank you for that plug, Vince. But we find that right now, uh, unless there is a um, golf course or vineyard attached to it, a resort area purchased by a uber wealthy Asian isn't noticeably attractive to South Florida. Palm Beach, not being considered. Mm -hmm. South Florida, some consideration, but we need a higher... um, we need a higher level of buyer in that area for others to follow. I, if they're going to go warm, they're doing South Cal, uh, Southern California. And what are they? Why are they doing that? They're following others. There has to be Agreed. a an outreach. There has to be, excuse me, a beachhead mm-hmm. of other Asian buyers to bring in the mass entry level. That could change one day. Let's change that a little bit and talk about the interest in American education by the Chinese remains the most important factor driving immigration here to the U.S. Let's let's talk a little bit about the EB-5 visa program. How is that affecting the, the purchases here in New York, or is it? Well, there are less of them. Mm-hmm. They're certainly extremely attractive, but there are less of them to give out. And most of those, I find, and I could be wrong on this, you know, uh, are being offered by uh, new development. Absolutely. So that is a great opportunity for 
bulk sales, and we certainly promote that on our Asia trips. EB-5s are definitely a hook to get the Asian buyer here to the States, but the number one, two, three, four, and five reasons they'll buy here is education. They have a child, or they think they're going to have a child that's going to be educated in New York. I don't know if I ever shared this, shared this story with me, but it went viral after the New York Times printed it a few years ago. We had an Asian buyer buying in Billionaire's Row, and she was buying at that time a $28 million property and of course we want to know why and what else can we do for you and she said she was buying it for her daughter who was going to be going to Columbia. We're very excited about that. It was a great fit. Her daughter's going to Columbia. She'll be able to use it. Her mother will be able to visit. It it fell in place with what we know is to be a driving force for high-end buyers. After further discussing with her, her the reason for her purchase after the contract was signed, she informed me that her daughter was two years old and not yet at Columbia. <laughs> Isn't this something? Thinking wow. thinking to the future. We have to leave it there for a minute. We are live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York with Nikki Field from Sotheby's. She will be back with us right after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, I'm back with Nikki Fields, Senior Global Real Estate Advisor from Sotheby's International Real Estate here in New York City and literally around the world, our Asian uh, and Middle Eastern uh, expert. And Nikki, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, um, uh, first of all, we're going to get to who's not buying uh, out of the, the foreign markets, but explain your team, explain the, the different desks that you have in your New York office that handles your global business around the world. Oh, thanks for that. Uh, <coughs> the history of uh, the team assault started in 2008 when our 
our market flatlined. And I went on the road to find out where the money was and how attractive we could make the New York real estate market. Uh, at that time, I had to uh, staff up to handle the local business that actually wasn't happening in 2008, 9, and 10, but at least to be there uh, to keep it on life support. Uh, we soon learned and, and focused on Asia specifically, but Russia was still gearing up at that point. South America was doing quite well. In order to properly service and correctly uh, and to have the correct skill sets to selling international buyers, one really has to have some other international players on your team. Without that, we really suffer in credibility. So quickly on, I, I secured a, a senior VP at HSB. HSBC to come on to head our Asia desk. His name is Daniel Chang. He's been with us now for six years. Daniel does much more of the traveling in Asia. He works with wealth managers. Daniel then works with a team of two others on my team that target the purchasers, discuss the opportunities in the market, whether in New York or someplace else, hand them over to our New York agents who then service them here in New York or hand them off to other locations. I've since done that with our Middle East um, owners of our Sotheby's affiliate. We have a woman named Lee Williamson who is the head of our Middle East desk. Lee joined us two and a half years ago and Lee spends two-thirds of her time in, in Dubai identifying investors here in the States. It is a show of credibility of information among your peers in your location by handing off to someone that you can validate, knows the market, and will best service you. All right, so let's talk about the Indian desk that you've recently created because of the influx or apparently the the, the new demand by Indian buyers uh, here in New York City. And let's also discuss who is not buying out of the foreign, um, you know, as I call inventory of people out there. Uh, around the world. So, you know, the Chinese are here. Uh, the Indians are definitely making um, themselves very well known. Who's not buying? There's been a steep drop off in investments from South America, specifically Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, these We yeah. can always count on our South American buyers to buy at the luxury and the uber luxury level. They were portfolio collectors long before portfolio collecting became popular. Uh, they have disappeared. Uh, we also are seeing in other weakened currencies like Russia a steep uh, uh, decline. Some of that is they're diverting their cash to other areas, and some of it is also an uncertainty about the political situation in our in our country right now. They talk about it. Our Middle Eastern buyers are also talking about it. They have been offended in the not so recent past by our government uh, and a lot of, as a lot of people have it hasn't turned them off to New York US real estate but it's given them cause to slow down and to take a wait and see position um, our We're very strong with our Israeli uh, buyers. They are fast and furious in the East Coast. We certainly are seeing a a lot of French buyers. The economy Mm -hmm. in France has driven them to us, and we're pleased to have them there, our our new most favored uh, entry level. We have been seeing a tremendous amount of activity coming out of Canada, Canadians specifically. Uh, They're not just your grandmother's Florida buyer any longer. They are buying the in the entire <laughs> East Coast. That's very true. Why Amen. is that? Why is that all of a sudden? Because you know Canada has always been there, and they've always been our our great you know and supportive neighbor. But why all of a sudden are they becoming more investor 
interested or investor savvy in our markets? What's driving that? Opportunity. Thought? There have been some strong restrictions put on their own buying uh, um uh, structures in Canada, mm. uh, uh, specifically in the Vancouver region. So they're looking for opportunity because they've been priced out of their own markets. They cannot buy real estate in Canada because the Asians have taken over. So when a frustrated real estate investor or multiple home buyer is looking for yet again another home, they're not going to the most expensive market. They're looking for opportunity. And we have many, many, many pockets of opportunity. And for the, your brokers that are listening today, send off a your mailing of your best opportunities to your relationships in Canada, and you're going to get some traction. Nikki, I was in, in the research this past week. I, I came across something I wanted to ask you about. So uh, a few new trends in the Chinese real estate investment. Student housing teams seems to have caught on. While Chinese investors have largely steered clear of the American multifamily rental market, dorm projects have caught their attention. The Chinese understand the demand for student housing since they send so many students of theirs over here. So my question is, what you know? What about you know student housing or investing in student housing? I was really kind of floored by that that research. I wasn't quite sure why they would be interested in investing so heavily in well, student housing. Thank you for that. It was new to me too. I read the same article, yeah. and we were on the phones within minutes talking to our larger fund investors from China, letting them know that we'd start our research immediately. I don't have enough to speak on it. Uh, clearly or informatively right now, but I, I'll send off a message to you once we get an understanding of why they're putting their arms around that. They've obviously, don't forget, so much of Asian money has been made on real estate. So it's an easy transference. If you know real estate where you are and where you've made your wealth, perhaps that's an area you're going to go into. They see that residential real estate in the States has, for lack of a better word, had a hesitation uh, they haven't seen it go down, and thankfully, historically, we know that most people that have done their homework understand the uh, the traction of, of U.S. real estate, our five-year climb, our level off, our next five-year climb. And our talking points are always about the seven-year climb that we came off of, that mm-hmm. seven-year mm-hmm. ramp up for all of us. And I'm sure the panel will agree, was an unforeseen, extraordinary endorsement of U.S. real estate. So I can't answer that question question directly, but I promise you I'll get back to you on it. Because if they're talking about it and their wealth advisors are encouraging it, we're going to see it done. All right. So the Chinese, uh, back to the Chinese, uh, their dollar is getting stronger. uh, And so, you know, they've had these limitations on how much they can take out of their country to invest in in, in America or or anywhere else. How are you seeing that, you know, kind of loosening up a little bit or is it? I mean, are they easily able to take money out of their country in big dollar amounts or not? Remember when we earlier spoke spoke about the different levels of the Manhattan market? It's been very, very tough for the entry and aspirational level of, of Chinese to move their money. There are horror stories for many brokers about <clears throat> doing a deal well negotiated with extraordinary efforts made to accommodate a Chinese buyer whose funds never made it over in time for closing. We've all experienced that. Correct. Right. That is those first two markets. At the luxury and uber luxury level, the funds are offshore or can get offshore. We 
we know that there are different opportunities through wealth advisors to move these funds. But I will tell you that truly big money has been offshore for more than seven years. Mm-hmm. And it's been making money or not making money sitting waiting to pounce. So whenever well, look what's happened with, with the bigger um, uh, investments that have been made by huge funds, the hotels that have been purchased, the, uh, the buildings, the corporations that have been started – they're, they've moved in 200, 400, up to a billion and a half dollars. Those funds were offshore and they've been liquid. Let's talk about the Indians. Yes, please. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what are they specifically looking for? When they come here, all of a sudden, a lot of us are experiencing, you know, uh, uh, that profile of buyer out there. What is it they're looking for? Is it new development? Is it resale? Is it a combination of both? It is a very good deal. What is it that they're specifically looking for? Well, we were... Before I answer that, I'm going to give a little preface here. Uh, We keenly watch London for international buyers. We monitor their data and and take our lead from London. Two years ago, Indian Indian national buyers uh, were responsible for 2% of of London prime real estate purchases. Last year... They were responsible for 24%. Last year, 2016, it went from 2% in two years to 24% of prime London purchasing. What happens in London real estate soon after happens in New York specifically. Mm -hmm. So that caught our eye. And as we did a tremendous amount of intelligence work and, and data keeping on who the buyer was in London, we knew that buyer was coming across to New York quickly. And what we found, they are, again, very, very, very similar to Chinese buyers. Entry level coming in, parents buying for their children. Uh, moderate level, families actually relocating to the states because the children already work here. Third level is there's been a massive, massive amount of income made by mainland Indians in real estate. That market is on steroids. What are they going to do with the money? A good part of it, as we all know, a good part of that that income goes offshore. If they made it in real estate, I go back to the point they want to make more in real estate. So we're finding that investors are coming in looking for deals. But they also want to pull it out of the Indian markets because there's like a white market and a black market and there's a lot of shadow money in that market. And, you know, they've been having sweeping reforms there and people have been actually declaring billions of dollars of previously hidden assets. So I think there's an extra motivation with that buyer Absolutely. Too, to and, come here. And my experience has been that they're not looking necessarily to use the asset today, but they're looking for the growth in the asset so that it will become a primary residence for a family member. And I've had that. That's a multiple story for myself. And it has to be a deal. They're they're lowballing everything. Well, as Nikki said, they're all all out there looking for deals. And I'm assuming that that includes new development. Nikki, we have about two minutes left before break. Give me your overall then assessment of the marketplace today. In 2017, as we head into uh, the new 2018 marketplace, you know, from 16 to 17 was a little questionable. 17 got uh, fairly busy again and, and somewhat successful, I guess. Where are we? Go- where are we today, and where we're we going uh, in 2018? Well, just just from the perspective of a very successful New York City global real estate uh, agent. My solid optimism continues in New York markets 
specifically and the U.S. market generally, obviously clearly along the coastlines. Uh, The growth in the health of the New York residential real estate market will continue, as it has historically in the past, to have its strong, epic growth periods and its flatlining periods. If one only looks at what's happening in Wall Street at this time and the 30% additional assets that most people now have in their portfolios, we're going to have a run-up of local buyers, which will then either uh, initiate international buyers to bid higher and faster or move them along to other areas within New York. I take a long-term view on this, and I believe that uh, the interest of international buyers will last ongoing in a regular basis because of the opportunity for jobs here, because of the schools that they all want to go to, and it will last long through and beyond the Trump administration. All right, we have to leave it there and take a break. You are listening to Good Morning New York. On the Voice America uh, Variety Channel, this is Nikki Field, Senior Global Real Estate Advisor from Sotheby's. We will be back after these messages, so don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, buddy. We are back uh, with the panel. Nikki Field is going to sit with us for the rest of the show. Thank you for that, Nikki. We are here with Sean McPeak from Compass, Anna Shagaloff from Halstead Property, Louise Phillips-Forbes from Halstead Property, and Niall Lundgren from Compass. So let's get to it. Manhattan condominium developers received the go-ahead to begin marketing 823 condominium units valued at $3 billion in the third quarter, a steep decline over the prior quarter, according to analysis of new development condo filings by the real deal. The three-month total had risen in each of the past three quarters at the volume recovered from a steep decline in late 2016. Yet the market is in the middle of a slowing appetite for development as Manhattan developers face high land costs and years of supply 
in the luxury sector. The uh, New York Attorney General's Office, which regulates condominium filings, approved just one plan for sale in September, and the project's target sellout is just $20 million. It was the lowest monthly total since April of 13, when there were no condominiums approved. How do you explain this and the, new, the flood of new inventory? Still coming to market, continuing to come to market. I, I read, or I think we talked about last week or the week before on the air, uh, 43 new developments coming out between now and the first quarter of next year. Wow. So, yeah, but you also have to remember that that is talking about all five boroughs and what we're experiencing in developers, you know, on the street is construction loans are not easy to obtain today. Mm -hmm. So there's a delay in people putting forth the time value of money um, and and having to bring in new partnerships. That's been my own personal experience with three or four development projects that I'm working on. And, um, and I kind of, my feeling is, thank God, you know, thank God there's some bottlenecking to give us a breath because the more inventory that we have, we know the elongated sales cycle is present. We also are seeing lagging inventory of projects that are in their last 20%, which for most developers is profit. They're taking 700, 1 million, million and a half dollar price cuts on, and, and quite opportunistically. So I think that that is part of what we're experiencing is this bottlenecking. It's hard to put the deals together because of the cost of the land acquisition and having to underwrite the construction. But as you said, uh, you know, the developers or the smart ones are taking um, or agreeing to some price cuts or to deals, as Nikki was talking about earlier. Buyers out there today want to feel like they're getting something. Unfortunately, those are already existing projects that are at the end correct. of their sales cycle. Correct. So they've been in our inventory for, you know, three three quarters. Are in you, some they case. started in a very different market than they are now. Are you seeing more on the price cut side or more on the negotiability side where the pricing the, is firm? They, they are not. They're not. Off. They are not lowering the prices in many cases because they don't want to file it in the offering plan. Yeah, so that's in, in in one of the projects that I just negotiated something, they had a closing that took place for four and a half million dollars. They closed in May or June. I'm closing on an all cash deal that we are signing and closing same day for three six. And so that buyer is looking at, you know, that kind of shift in the market in months. They went mm-hmm. to contract in January last year. So let's talk about what's That's coming pretty powerful. What's coming to market. So as we all agreed, you know, the 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 price of land was very high when developers were building or buying land and then building these buildings. So there's only so much or so low they can go when they're they're offering prices or they're asking prices. What are they going to do when they put these new product out there? And the buyers is still just not buying. And they're sitting back saying, well, you know, I really am looking for a deal. I really want, you know, I'm getting offers of 10 to 20% off of new development sale yep. prices. Yep. So we'll take a look at, I mean, people like JDS. Michael has taken, he, he's the developer of um, the Steinway project. He has been ready to sell with a $5 million sales office for almost 24 months and he is waiting till the product is something you can see, touch, and feel. And we've been here before. Yes, we have. He's a little bit of a different breed of developer, though. I mean, he just commits to quality and the best of the best. And, you know, I think he is confident it'll He's work out. He's counting on that. that. There's other people in on the block that probably won't 
be as lucky as him and probably don't have the uh, wherewithal he does. But that's well, where I, some of the people I think get into trouble is where they put it out too soon in this market and you know pre-approved plans or whatever, and the building isn't even built yet. So then, then, the, then this project is immediately struggling for some time. What is the incentive to exactly. buy something that's not and yours for thirty-six months? And then they're not able to, and then they have to switch a broker, or there's some, you know, then the then the building has just been stagnant and it's not a fresh building. So I think JDS has a good approach with this current market. <clears throat> I, I'm I'm actually talking to two developers now, you know, planning to come to market. One a very big project, and one you know medium size. And the thinking is, or the thought process is, just as you said, Louise, you know, should we wait until the building is done and then go to market? Should we do a sales office right now and and sell that way? Look, I've been experienced. I have experience in doing both. So you know, how do you? How do you really competently explain to a developer the right approach? Because either way is right, either way is wrong. And you know, and sometimes they get very anxious. They want to get their product out there when they want to get their sales out there. They want to open up a sales office just so you know you can start selling. But people are not willing to buy something that may be two years out. I think I in think, a questionable market. I, you know, I have experience working in. Um, you know, I've been doing some research in other markets for buyers, and most other markets wouldn't. You know, they wouldn't put something on the market if you can't walk inside of it. So they don't buy on spec like we do. So I think that's kind of the difference here in New York is maybe we're actually getting back to a normal place where some place like Los Angeles or somewhere else would, you know, not necessarily try to be selling the apartment before we even put a shovel on the ground. However, you're going to continue to see the international investors that want to have the opportunistic time value of money at a certain baseline number. And so that is something that I find to be key for my developers. I mean, I'm, I'm working on a project that's 275,000 square feet. And that's a, you know, four-year sellout. And, you know, the people that we'll be targeting is a baseline of that first 10% of investors that we will do a bulk deal for, for to take off some of the risk. Buy off the plans. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't. Right. Pa- I, I, I'm saying I don't think we, we should panic. You know, I think just because we're cooling off a little bit doesn't necessarily mean that the market's going to be taking a giant leap backwards. No, I I agree. But when it comes to the developers, you know, it's kind of like, yeah. well, do we sell off plans? Do we sell off in, in a glitzy, glamorous sales office offsite, or do we wait till the building is done? And you know, really, there there's no right answer. I mean, it, the, I don't believe that. I think any you right have answer. to look at where you where your boundaries are and where where exactly are the subtleties of what your niche of the market is. Yeah. Go ahead, Nikki. May I may I just jump in here on this uh, my, with my own experience with a number of developers here? Follow the smart guys, um, and there are a lot of them, such as JDS, Gary Barnett. Follow the smart guys. What are they doing? Gary Barnett is holding back the Central Park Tower, the single most anticipated new development that any of us in our industry have been thinking about, yearning to sell. Um, But what are they also doing? Letting the industry know about the product. Letting the industry know that this is coming. So for those clients like our larger investors, those that want to park their cash now, we have an opportunity to at least get in and reserve a space. But the smart guys are saying it's a crowded, over um, over inventory field. Let's find the new traction, which we all know is going to be coming, whether it's two quarters out or mm-hmm. ten quarters out. That's when they'll go ahead and release. 
Follow the smart guys. Good advice. So with that, let's move on. <laughs> if you are thinking of combining two apartments, how do you go about that in terms of buying hallway space if that's necessary? And how do you proceed and how much is it going to cost? So you buy an apartment and you're living in a free few years. Your family grows. You want the apartment next door that comes available. You decide to buy that and combine. But, you know, maybe you need to buy the hallway space outside. We're talking about co-ops. Is this easily done? Uh, I have consulted, I would say, and myself included, um, I have found that this is more and more as the market has climbed in this seven-year climb that we were talking about, that the next-door neighbor becomes more and more attractive and they can get their arms around paying a premium for your next-door neighbor to roll it into the amortized value because one plus one often equals two and a quarter, two and a half, sometimes three. Um you know, I think that co-ops have become a little more sophisticated as the buyers who are in those assets have become more sophisticated and understand that it's a source of income for the building, number one. And number two, um, the better product they allow their, their owners to create with the technology we have today, the better resale value it is for everybody else. Yeah, I remember a situation way back, uh, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago, where um, uh, the building said that my buyer could not buy that piece of the hallway that they wanted to to make this combination work. And we walked away from the deal because it was an integral part or would have been an integral part of that combination. And they said no. Listen, they, short-sighted. They, they are, they are yeah. buildings on Park Avenue that for the sole reason they don't want two eight-room combinations mm-hmm. – only because they didn't want people to have voting power, which to me is wow. rather Sometimes there's like, there's like jealousy in the building, too, because they're like, I don't want someone to have a nicer apartment than me. And it- well, that, too, but I think Louise is right about the yeah, voting totally. power because that's oh, more yeah. shares of, of stock, no, uh, no. stock in it's the It's ridiculous is what it is. in the buildings in general. So I, it's it's just very short-sighted for the yeah, buildings. Yeah, but a lot of these people never, you know, and, I mean, selling. Yeah, a lot of these buildings, you're, the only you're place dealing they have the a little ego. power. Ego is right. first, yeah. All right. So, um, you know, it, when it, renovation is never easy, but when you have a situation like that, and in my particular case with our buyer, it was unfortunate because they had to move on because that really was going to be. Uh, how, a, how big was the hallway? It was say? not. It, it's like 50 feet, 20, 36 feet, maybe something 30, like that. But, oh, but yeah. I, minor. I, I want to also just point something out for any of the bro- brokers that have had a challenge in finding, you know, an expansion opportunity for families that are limited, that that becomes a very, you know, um, opportunistic conversation, especially if you sold something to somebody in 2003 for $850,000 and it's now worth, you know, three and a half million dollars, which in some cases we have seen that kind of growth um, in, in particularly new conversions, which I have done 30 of them and I did something in 2006 and today it's worth two or three times that acquisition and amortizing their equity into both of those becomes an, an opportunity where the bank will actually lend them more than they would individually. Got it. All right. We are going to go to break. We are live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning uh, New York. We'll be right back after these messages. Continuing our discussion. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody. We are back with uh, Nikki Field from Sotheby's International Realty, Sean McPeak, Compass, Anna Shagalov, Halstead Property, Louise Phillips Forbes, Halstead Property, and Niall Lundgren from Compass. All right, so at the top of the show, I mentioned that when a first-time couple bought their apartment, they knew very little about what it meant to buy a co-op. First things first, for those of you who don't understand, they didn't actually buy their apartment. They bought shares in the building's cooperative. The broker selling the apartment asked them a few times if they were ready to move into the small self-managed building they were looking into. In the interview with the board, they uh, were asked, again, if they were the kind of people who would play an active role in the building community. And that I use the term loosely, building community, which you pretty much have to do in a small co-op or any co-op, and certainly in a self-managed building. They said yes, they wanted the apartment. And even after all that, and being approved and closing on the sale, they still didn't totally get what it meant to be co-op owners. Here are the most important uh, things that they learn very fast. Number one, the board is made up of volunteers who give their time and expertise for the building Uh, For the benefit of the building, if you want to have an impact and know what's going on, get on the board. In your experience, and you've all sold co-ops, how many of your buyers ultimately or eventually wish to or want to get on a board in a building? Many, many, and it's been an... And tell us why. Because I think that, you know, what you have to realize is that, you know... You are part of a corporation, of a business, and that what your 
you know, how it's operated is in charge of sometimes five to seven individuals. And having a rational, whether your background is in finance, your background is in construction, or even if you just are a smart business person, you know, trying to facilitate um, a common ground for the for the bigger picture. I mean, look, you have fiduciary responsibilities, but there's people, Some there are some board members that have been in my building specifically that, you know, paid $30,000 for their apartment. They were worried about somebody's air conditioner in 1981 that made a, 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 a leak and they don't want to allow air conditionings through the wall. And the technology is just different today. So I think it's it's really part of our responsibility to invest in our communities. All right, let me ask a couple of things because we talked about this a little bit off off the air uh, during a break. So, I mean, we all have people in our buildings who have bought, you know, at, at $30,000 or $50,000 or whatever the number is, you know, 100 years ago. And I always say, and I'm asking my panel of experts here today, how is that relative in today's world where people spend millions of dollars in cases, $800,000, dollars in some buildings? I mean, it's not to diminish, you know, their their role on the board, but, you know, they're not with current times and they don't understand mm. current dollar values and they don't understand, as Louise just said, modern technology. What do we do about this? I, I always encourage the new buyer to try to get involved with the board in some way. You definitely want to be able to control your destiny in the building. And also, you might want to form a relationship with those board members because – you know, currying favor with someone who's going to determine whether or not you can, you know, make an alteration to your apartment or who's going to improve the next person who decides to buy your apartment. Maybe you want to move, move in a few years. So I think it's good to just, you know, mix it up and get on the board and do something good for the building. So, you know, just to benefit yourself in the long run. It depends on the size of the building, too, because especially for first time buyers, it could be a really intimidating task. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned earlier, first-time buyers come in and, and you can explain to them over and over again what they're buying into yeah. and they just really don't understand the concept until they're really in it and then they're calling you months later saying, <laughs> I can't do this and I, you know, my neighbor is calling because so my true. toddler is running mm-hmm. around with the mm-hmm. wheelie thing. And, I mean, they get caught up in the they, transaction. They don't understand until, right, exactly. And, and I mean, there's there's a discount mm-hmm. to co-ops in, you know, in comparison to all the, the new developments yeah. and First-time buyers can be drawn to it if they have the backup finances, but they they don't get it. And then eventually, if they get on the board, then you know they they have a voice. They feel a little bit more powerful, and it's you know. What many it all buyers do not understand is don't the understand. cooperative yeah. board structure is not a democracy. No. And once you're part of something that is not a democracy, it's quite enlightening, and shocking, and annoying. So what do you do from there? You, you speak. You Nikki, speak. we need to have you she put a, a, a country words, guide of like democracies and compare them <laughs> to boards. I just love the analogy because it's perfect. Right. It's Which perfect. co-op is North Korea? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's off mic. Uh, but, but one thing that I'm sure Luis has found and many of you at this table have found that the the board members that are ready to cash out themselves Ears perk up when you talk about 
the value of their shares mm-hmm. and how they can be improved mm-hmm. by making some of these accommodations. And we have been successful as brokers by pitching that exact message. If you permit those through the wall, if you reduce your all-cash building to 50% or if you let there be a major renovation for eight weeks instead of six weeks, it's going to improve not only the traffic to your building, but the sales in your building ultimately and most importantly, improving the value of your shares and your cash out. Speak the truth to money. I think there's some truth to that. And it's really important to understand that there's an old school New York mentality, right? When you have like the rent stabilized apartments, that's one style old school New York mentality. But then when you have these boards, and I've done a couple deals recently where younger buyers are buying in some funky old school co-ops, one on 18th Street, for example, and the people can't seem to get out of their their own way. And and it was actually a buddy of mine, and his father's an architect, and he bought it with the intention of doing all these renovations. We closed about six months ago. He still hasn't been able to start any sort of renovation. And all of this stuff was in the board process. We're like, we're going to be doing renovations. These are the plans. One of the ladies below is a newer style buyer in that building, but she has a baby, so she's blocking everything at every way. So, And then the other people are just not too interested because I don't think that they're, they really care about the, the prices. They care more about just living there for the rest of their life because this is where they've been for the last 30 years. And they paid peanuts and they're just staying there. So they're not too motivated about the new hotshot guy who's coming in trying to make some renovations with his father who's an architect. So there, there's all kinds of blockades that 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 come in the way when you deal with they these They see it as their own, as their turf. Yeah, you're their stepping turf. You're on you're and, stepping on my and my buddy I yeah. spoke to him the other day. He he's very frustrated. Yeah. He's like, you know, I really should have listened to you Time about to the whole condo call things. I was pushed. I was like, look, if you want to do this kind of stuff, let's go for this condo right here. He's like, no, this is good. I get, I like the better price per square foot. I'm like, okay, you know, I can't. The lowest price is not the best value. Yeah, it's never no, the best it never, value. It's, never, right? it's tough. It's it's a complicated. Live, it's every co-op is different too, so yeah. you can't. It's hard. to I live judge. in a really old school co-op with a lot of people that bought for twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and they are. They're blocking progress at every stage of at every attempt ever made. Do you think I mean, a, you think a portion of that is fear? It's it's all fear. It's fear and it's ego. I mean, we were here first. This is our neighborhood. This is mm-hmm. our building. I see a lot of ego. They don't yeah. like, yeah, they don't like the younger people coming in. I mean, they use the word gentrification as, as you know, this monster coming in where, I mean, it's it's evolution, people. You know, <laughs> encourage it. It's, now it's a the, good thing. On the flip side of that, whether they pay 20000 or $100,000, they are going to sell someday to a young person and they're going to make hundreds of yes. thousands or millions yes. of dollars. And they're going to move right? to Florida. Right. Yeah. And they're going to move to the country. So and I say they're going to be that. losing. Just they're going to be moving to Florida with less money if they don't open up their eyes. Thank That's you. That's exactly the point. So, yeah. so get with the program. Yeah. Open up your eyes. Agree to the improvements of the building. Be smart about it because mm-hmm. it's only going to increase the value of your shares or yes. your apartment or your building in general. So why the the, the backlash all the time? I I never understand, you know, what they really. I don't think, think they can getting. actually. Also, I don't think they could feel the value. I don't think they can actually visualize that being a, a realistic option for them because they are going to die there. I think people too, like us, well, we, we that's, use, we that's, use that's logic. a lot of it. Yeah, people like us are going to be using logic. 
And I don't think logic necessarily applies oh, to some of the not. old school no, mentality. This is not a logical so business. No. <laughs> logic does not trying to wrap our heads around it. There's some things that we just can't understand. No. Yeah, like a bank can't understand a co-op, for instance. Because you know, <laughs> they're in Minnesota or Listen, Ohio we can spend a whole show on logic and how it applies or doesn't apply to real estate, right? In our industry, show. we've all seen this every day. Most of the angst that we all go through on a day-to-day basis is because somebody's being stupid, right? And yeah. not logical or, or, or I just tell my buyers, especially co-op people, that this is not a logical business. Business. That's why I'm here because there, you need experience. You don't need logic. If a logic worked, you know, okay, we, we wouldn't have it. Anyway, happening. we're out of time. That's our show for today. Thank you, Nikki Field from Sotheby's International Realty for coming third time, and that's the charm. There you go. It will be more. Until next time, be kind to one another. Uh, for all of us at Voice America, all around the world, thanks for joining us. Uh, we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 